0: Hello, we're Equinor. As a global energy leader, we're working hard to reduce methane emissions and our carbon footprint. Good morning, I'm James Holman from the Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Friday, December 6th. In today's news, the Russians might know more about President Trump's Ukraine machinations than congressional investigators. Joe Biden gets testy with a farmer in Iowa And Uber releases a stomach-churning report on sexual assault. But first, the big idea. As House Democrats geared up for their first impeachment hearing last month, Speaker Nancy Pelosi huddled in her office with her leadership team, downplaying expectations. She told them not to expect the hearings would trigger a massive shift in public support toward ousting Trump. Those words of caution delivered as House Intelligence Committee members prepared in the Capitol basement for the next day's hearing, reflected the innate skepticism that has influenced her every move as she's guided her Democratic majority through a tumultuous moment in the nation's history. Even after a whistleblower complaint compelled Pelosi to launch the investigation she has long resisted, she's treated impeachment as a political liability, and she sought to redirect public attention to the pocketbook issues that she considers responsible for them winning the majority last year. But with a five minute nationally televised address on Thursday morning, she's become the reluctant face of impeachment. The speaker's discomfort was on full display, starting with her morning address, in which she gravely announced her decision to move forward with impeachment. Two hours later, though, she was rattled when a reporter, James Rosen of the conservative Sinclair Broadcast Group asked her if she hates Trump. It was a question meant to elicit a response to a frequent GOP attack, but one she instead took as a personal slight. Let's take a listen to the moment. I resent your using the word hate in a sentence that addresses me. I don't hate anyone. I was raised in a way that is full, a heart full of love and always prayed for the president. And I still pray for the president. I pray for the president all the time. So don't mess with me when it comes to words like that. To Republicans eager to paint Democrats as out of control partisans, the forceful rebuttal was a sign of the speaker losing her grip. Trump said that she had a nervous fit and tweeted that he doesn't believe she's ever actually prayed for him. But the exchange quickly went viral among liberals on social media who praised the speaker's sharp tongue. Pelosi spoke yesterday with an unusually weary rasp. My colleagues Rachel Bade and Mike DeBonis, who cover the house for us, say that's a consequence of a whirlwind visit to Madrid where she led a delegation of 14 lawmakers to a global conference on climate change amid this domestic rancor. Several lawmakers who joined Pelosi on the trip told Rachel and Mike that her mood, solemn and serious lately in Washington, drastically changed. Thousands of miles from impeachment, occupying the role of statesman, the speaker was full of cheer. While in Spain, Pelosi took calls from House General Counsel Doug Letter, who's taking point on the legal aspects of the impeachment probe. During the nine-hour flight home from Madrid on Tuesday, Pelosi secluded herself in an airplane cabin to read the final draft of Adam Schiff's 300 page report about Trump and Ukraine. The moment her feet hit U.S. soil around 4 p.m., she was back to work, ordering her staff to line up her first meeting at the Capitol for 4 15 with additional appointments into the evening, even though she was jet lagged. These days, Pelosi, who was a history major in college, spends a lot of time quoting the founding fathers of the nation in her bid to justify embracing impeachment. Occasionally, though, she favors the Bible. Yesterday morning, while meeting with her whip team in the Capitol basement, the speaker asked for everyone to pray. And then she read aloud some verses from the Old Testament, the book of Jeremiah, about the danger of corrupt kings. Here's the passage from Jeremiah that Pelosi read. Quote, Attend to matters of justice. Set things right between people. Rescue victims from their exploiters. Don't take advantage of the homeless, the orphans, the widows. Doom to the leader who builds palaces but bullies people. Who makes a fine house but destroys lives. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar as this week comes to an end. Number one. The phone logs that were disclosed in that House Intelligence Committee report have sounded fresh alarm bells about Trump's persistent use of unsecured communications against the advice of his own aides and the intelligence community. Current and former U.S. officials tell The Post that Trump routinely communicates with Rudy Giuliani and other individuals on cell phones that are vulnerable to monitoring by Russian and other foreign intelligence services. Senior U.S. intelligence officials have personally briefed the president on how easy it is for America's enemies to intercept these calls, which aren't encrypted or otherwise shielded from surveillance. But Trump has bristled about going through the White House switchboard because then government staffers can see who he's talking to. The phone records raise the possibility that Moscow was able to learn about aspects of Trump's attempts to get Ukraine to investigate a political rival months before that effort was exposed by a whistleblower report and then the impeachment investigation. John Cypher, the former deputy chief of Russia operations at CIA, says that Trump and Giuliani have effectively given the Russians ammunition that they could either use in an overt fashion, a covert fashion, or in the twisting of information. Cipher and others who are still in the community say that it is so likely that Russians tracked the calls of Giuliani and others that the Kremlin probably knows more still now about those conversations than impeachment investigators. Current U.S. officials say that Giuliani would have been considered a target of Russian intelligence efforts from early in Trump's presidency, and that it's safe to assume the Kremlin intensified its surveillance of the president's lawyer once he turned his focus to Ukraine, which is, of course, a former Soviet republic and a target of Kremlin aggression, where Russian intelligence has made deep inroads. U.S. officials also say that Russia likely has Giuliani under physical surveillance as he visits Ukraine this week. Giuliani met yesterday in a hotel lobby in Kiev with one of the key figures who's been working to help him build a corruption case against Joe and Hunter Biden. The man is named Andrei Derkach. He's a member of parliament. He's also a pro-Kremlin figure. He went to a KGB high school in Moscow, and he's the son of a KGB officer who later served as the head of Ukrainian intelligence. Number two, Joe Biden got into a testy back and forth yesterday afternoon in Iowa with a farmer who called him too old to be president and then challenged him on his son's activities in Ukraine. The farmer said there's no way Biden has the mental faculties he used to. The former vice president then called the man a damn liar, and challenged him to take not just an IQ test, but also to have a push-up contest to see who was more physically fit. Biden said he played no role in getting his son Hunter the job on the board of Burisma, the Ukrainian natural gas company. Here's part of the back-and-forth at the town hall. Number two, number two, no one has said my son has done anything wrong, and I did not on any occasion... And no one has ever said it. Not I didn't once. say you were doing anything wrong. You said, said I set up my son to work in an oil company. is not that what you said? I, get your work straight, Jack. That's what I re- re- hear on, the, on MSNBC. Oh. You don't hear that on MSNBC. No, no, you did not hear that. But what you heard. No, Look, you okay, I'm not going to get in an argument with you, man. Well, I do Well, yeah, you do. But, uh... Meanwhile... Former Secretary of State John Kerry yesterday endorsed Biden and said he plans to campaign with him on Friday in Iowa and on Sunday in New Hampshire. Kerry, who served alongside Biden for decades in the Senate and was the Democratic nominee for president in 2004, said he feels strongly that his friend can beat Trump next November. In a phone interview with The Post, Kerry said the president knows that and that's why he sent Giuliani to Ukraine. Number three, Uber disclosed last night that 3,000 sexual assaults were reported on its U.S. rides just last year. The reported assaults were part of Uber's long-awaited safety study, published amid widespread and ongoing criticism of its safety practices and pressure to increase transparency about these issues. In the lengthy report, Uber said it recorded 235 rapes last year and thousands more reports of assault that could involve unwanted touching, kissing, or attempted rape. The company tallied roughly 6,000 reports of those types of assault in 2017 and 2018. Uber emphasized that its data shows that drivers are victims too. In fact, drivers, mostly women, reported instances of sexual assault at the same rate as riders across the five most serious categories recorded. Rival rideshare company Lyft has pledged to release its own transparency report. Lyft faces lawsuits from at least 34 women in San Francisco who allege they were raped or sexually assaulted on rides booked through that app. And that's The Daily 202 for Friday, December 6th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you on Monday. If you want to get more news about the impeachment inquiry, you can now subscribe to a new podcast feed from The Washington Post. All of our audio updates on the inquiry are in one place, including the latest from The Daily 202's Big Idea, Can He Do That?, and Post Reports. You can subscribe at WashingtonPost.com podcasts.